On Alakiski Chronicle, we feature interesting stories and people who shape our local history. The mission of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum is to interpret, preserve, and celebrate the cultural, industrial, and ethnic heritage of the Allegheny and Kiskimanitis River Valleys in southwestern Pennsylvania. I'm Jamie Stoner, the curator of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum. Over the past year, we've been working with Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh every second Saturday of the month to preserve and save veteran stories. And today, Kevin's joining me as their executive producer and founder. And we want to hear about how this project got started and how it's continuing in the AK Valley. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me here in Tarentum. I like it up here. So do we. I know you do. I know you do. I've been coming to the museum here for a couple of years now. And we've been doing veterans oral history work here with you, and we really enjoy that experience. And we think, and we certainly hope, that veterans in the area find our program to be worthwhile. You know, this is where veterans come, and they can share their story in their own words. You know, we're based in Pittsburgh, so coming up the Allegheny Valley is, you know, it's important to us to sort of stretch away from the city and capture the stories of the veterans, you know, in in your neck of the woods up here in Tarentum. And so far, so good. Yeah, we've absolutely enjoyed having you here. It's fantastic being able to record these stories for the veterans themselves, for their families, for history. This is a great free program for the veterans. It costs nothing to them or their families for them to tell their stories, for them to be saved. And it's fantastic being able to have it here in a location that's very important to veterans with all of our military displays, programs, the fact we're a Blue Star Museum, we really enjoy having this outreach and offering this ability, this chance that a lot of veterans, I don't think, really get a chance to share their stories, to have them preserved. Yeah, we find that to be true. A lot of veterans don't get a chance to share their story publicly, at least. You know, many have told their families their stories of service. And by the way, you know, our project is open to veterans of all eras and branches of service, from World War II to, you know, current veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And as you said, you know, this is free. We never charge veterans for what we do. Our service is subsidized through donations, grants, and underwriting, you know, from various uh, people and organizations, businesses, foundations. And we're very appreciative of that. But we're very appreciative also of the veterans who share their stories. It's a, it can be a very daunting thing to come sit down in the, the seat with microphones and cameras and, you know, share these experiences. So I always like to say that, you know, these are precious stories and we're just really grateful that veterans can share those stories with us. And it's really not for us, you know, it's for the future. It's for our future generations to know of these, you know, these sacrifices and the service that people make. And I really want to stress the one thing you said there, all branches, all time periods, both active times during war, inactive duty. There's so many stories there that put together the intricacy of what it means to serve the country in the military and all different facets of that. And I think that's fantastic that you open it up to all parts of that and no stories too small, no stories too insignificant. And I think that's a fantastic message that you bring with these, because I think in history, we get so excited about the big moments, the big battles, the keystone points that we forget that there's so many small moments, so many local moments that make those things possible, that make those things even happen in the first place. And I think it's very important when preserving history that you don't overlook anything. 
Sure. One of the things that we struggle with is convincing people who were line cooks or truck mechanics or supply folks, you know, to share their story because it, it's just it's important too. You know, I mean, for every, you know, combat war hero, I mean, how many people were behind the scenes making it possible, you know, for those missions to succeed? So that's something that we do here with the project is we give, you know, people a chance to share their stories. And I stress that their stories in their own words. I mean, this is an our agenda. We like to call ourselves public historians in the sense that, you know, we take the stories and we put them out there for the public to listen to, enjoy, pass on and share in whatever way that that means, you know, for people. Right. So we don't have an agenda to share, you know, uh, a, a Silver Star recipient's story, although those are important, of course. But, but, you know, every veteran's story is important, and we're here to listen to those stories and to, and to uh, preserve those as well. And I have to tell you something. What is really important, too, about our project is, um, is you know, veterans get a chance to tell it in their, their own words. And once I was miking up a World War II veteran, his, his name was Donald Myers, and he leaned over to me and he said, son, can I say Japs? And I said, well, Mr. Myers, do you want to say Japs? And he said, well, my daughter's a teacher, and she, she had me come speak to her class. And she said, Dad, whatever you do, don't say Japs. We don't say Japs anymore. It's Japanese. And he said, I don't know. I, you know, he said, I want to say Japs. And I said, well, Mr. Myers, this is your interview. This is your story. If it's important for you to say Japs, okay, I'm not going to judge you on that. So as he told his story, as it turns out, he was a Marine officer who led invasions Island after island in the, in the South Pacific. Whenever you see those old films of hand-to-hand -hand combat on the islands, flamethrowers, the most intense, grueling, combatant scenes, that's what Mr. Myers did. He had men who were mutilated by the Japanese. Their genitalia was cut off, stuffed in their mouths. He shared this during his interview. At the end of it, I understood why Mr. Myers still hung on to that language. Japs. They were Japs to him. You know, it's not for us to judge, right? Some other projects, some scholarly works, uh, they may do that. We're not going to do that. And that's, again, it's underscoring that veterans have a chance to tell their story in their own words. And that's just an example that, you know, sort of illustrates the power of that. And I, I think that's very important. I mean, even if we take sort of a historical context of that, you would never think today of taking a Civil War, war soldier's letters and rewriting them because they're not proper English or they're not modern English. You would keep them in that original context. That's part of it. That's so important. And again, stressing the fact that every story is worth saving, that every story is important. I know even my father came and spoke with you, actually. And I know that was a big conversation I had to have with him initially was, yes, your stories are important. You were in the service for over 30 years. Yeah, I know you were not on the front lines during the Iraq war or anything like that. But what you were doing was important. And, you know, even just convincing him of that is something that takes a lot of time. Your dad is a great example of how our interviews often unfold. People sit down in the seat. Uh, you know, they're reluctant to talk. You know, they may not think that their story is important. But, geez, when we get going, and like your dad did, the 30 years of his service started to unravel and unpack. And he had story after story after story, which I found very fascinating. His career span from Vietnam all the way to, you know, uh, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, this is an amazing span in the, in our military that your dad experienced. 
And a lot of veterans, you know, after 45 minutes or so, they are just telling story after story and amazing themselves, too. That's what I find particularly interesting is that, you know, veterans will say, oh, I haven't thought about this in a long time or I never shared this story before. And we've had family members who come with our veterans come up to us afterwards and they say, we never heard that story, <laughs> you know. And it's like, wow, we're doing our job here. We're really, you know, getting to the heart of these experiences through our process of oral history. And along those lines, when veterans start to think back, and this is true with veterans of all eras, and this is for different reasons, sometimes those memories that are very near and dear to them, but albeit hidden, you know, come to the surface, whether it's around a particular combat experience or a very good friend or the scenery that they experience in their travels, I mean, we've had, we've had veterans break down along these lines. It's the thought of a friend, the thought of combat. We had a veteran who was a Navy corpsman, and he was wounded a few times. He was pushing people's guts back in, told the story very matter-of-factly. And I was wondering through the whole time, I was wondering, boy, this is, I would be an emotional basket case if I were telling this story. He wasn't. So at one point in the, towards the end of the interview, just had the idea to ask him about the countryside. What, was Vietnam a beautiful place? And he paused and he sort of looked up at the ceiling and he said, you know, there was a time when we were coming over a mountain ridge down towards the ocean and it was in the evening and we topped over this valley and we looked down this valley and the beautiful sun was just bathing this village in this golden light and there was the ocean down there. And he stopped and he started to cry. And it just took me by surprise. That made him emotional. It, he didn't get emotional when he was talking about the blood and the guts and being wounded and seeing other people killed. And I don't pretend to psychoanalyze any of this. That was a, that was a fascinating thing. That it, In his mind, it was this beautiful scene that really stuck with him and was just so emotionally packed for him. That was just an amazing thing through us, unbelievably. And, you know, we cry too. Unbelievable. These stories start to unfold and I'm looking over at, you know, my partner Todd DePestino with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We often do these interviews together and, you know, Todd's misty-eyed, I'm misty-eyed. And it's like, how can you help not be, you know? Well, I know um, I was fortunate enough to go to one of your Veterans Breakfast and the gentleman that was sitting next to my father was an Iwo Jima survivor. And listening to him tell his story was just incredible, was Amazing. And I know he said something that really, really struck me. He mentioned how he still has nightmares from it. I mean, this gentleman's much, much older at this point in his life, many, many years removed from that. And the fact that he said that, and then I think the next line was the worst part of coming home from war, he said, was his mother yelling at him for swearing at the dinner table. <laughs> and that contrast and, you know, seeing, you know, how that's still such a part of him. Yeah. Those experiences are unlike anything that most of us can relate to. We've had veterans in their 90s who still suffer from post-traumatic stress in various ways. The current veterans, the post-9-11 group, is very much open about post-traumatic stress. 
And there's certainly a lot of room to go there. And people are working on that to be accepted in society, in the military and so forth. And talking about it is a difficult thing for, for anybody, of course, you know. But we've had the, the veterans of World War II tell us, like we all know or have heard, you know, we came home, we went to school, we got jobs, we moved on with life. Well, you know what? They didn't. They suffered from post-traumatic stress like any human would. And so as these veterans tell us their life story, you know, they often will say, yeah, I would hear a car backfire and I would hit the dirt, you know, or I was a workaholic or I was an alcoholic or I was abusive or I was married four times. Those are the effects of post-traumatic stress that the World War II generation suffered, not as openly, not as accepted as today's generation of veterans, but it's certainly there. And we get that in our interviews because we spend the time talking, you know, as human beings during these conversations that we have and record, you know, those are very powerful moments. And we've had veterans say time and time again, that was better than I thought. I really felt good about telling that, those stories. And so that, sh that shows us that this is a two-way street. You know, we often get, you know, this is the great advantage of hearing these stories, preserving these stories. But veterans say, well, I, I benefited from telling my story. When they're telling their stories... They're talking to you, right? Because actually I had a veteran just recently ask me, they're like, well, I would feel kind of weird just sitting there by myself telling a story. And they, they do get to talk to you and you would help them along during their storytelling process? Sure. When we first started this, we had a list of questions. I mean, this was several years ago. We brought a list of questions and they were sort of the standard questions that any oral historian would ask, especially around military. And then we, we quickly realized that those got in the way of just having a conversation with somebody about their experiences. So we often start World War II, for example. Tell us about Pearl Harbor. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? You know, and that usually launches from high school, being drafted or joining, and then it just sort of unravels there. Right? So we now approach our work as conversationalists. We have in our minds a list of questions that we ask, of course. And we've done this enough to know you know, how to ask those questions in what order. So we are facilitators, but we're also conversationalists in that regard that we, you know, it's a human experience. We've had people say, well, this was not as difficult as I thought. This was really, you know, more beneficial to me than I thought. You know, as I mentioned earlier, oh, I haven't thought about that stuff, you know, in such a long time. And I think we have a lot to do with that. You know, the way we approach our veterans oral history work has a lot to do with how veterans feel, how comfortable they are, and the kind of stories they were able to draw out. You know, there's always the catalog of events. I was here on this date, I went to that base and this training and da-da-da, and that's all important. But once we get through that, and veterans themselves realize this too, once we get through that, then it's sort of, a, you know, we, we talk about friendships. We talk about amazing experiences, the, the wonderful places people had visited. You know, that comes up a lot. You know, people, they were on the Eiffel Tower. You know, they were in Africa. They were in crazy places, you know, that some of us only dream about going. And they were there. And so they get a chance to sort of go down memory lane and share those experiences. So, I mean, since we are preserving history here, how did you get started on this project and creating veteran voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative? Yeah, it's a very long story. How much uh, time do we have on the tape there? Brian, our engineer over there recording this. <laughs> Well, the short answer to your question is, about six years ago, I was recording audio stories, uh, social context, people on the street for genealogy work, uh, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to help people share their stories through the medium of audio. 
And one of those projects that I had was recording veterans. And so I recorded some veterans in my family and people that I knew. I sort of ran out of veterans in my own you know, sphere. And I came across the Veterans Breakfast Club website, I called up Todd Pastino, who's the executive director of the Breakfast Club. And if you don't know about this organization, it is a group that holds literally breakfasts in the morning buffets. And there's a program where the microphone goes around and veterans get to share those stories. So it was sort of like the old peanut butter and chocolate commercials, you know, they collide. If you remember those commercials for Reese's uh, peanut butter cup commercials, I had recording equipment, no veterans. Todd had these veterans coming together, sharing the stories, but they weren't recording. So we got together and we formed a partnership in 2012. And so we started to record the breakfast. We started to do more of these uh, sit down long form interviews. So now we have about 800 stories on record and we are taking on more and more and more projects with, with uh, especially the current veterans. We have a new post 9-11 veteran storytelling project that we're very proud of and we're ramping up in a very big way over the next couple of years with the assistance of the Heinz Foundation. So in a nutshell, that's how we got going, you know, recording the stories. And you know, it's been a journey for me as much as anybody else. I never knew that the veteran experience was so wide and diverse. You know, so I was in the Navy in the 80s. I talked to guys who were in the Navy in the 40s. That's a whole different world, a whole different experience than I had. I mean, there are some similarities, of course. And the in the younger veterans now just coming out of the service, boy, their Navy experience is a lot different than mine. And I think the public gets that too. You know, they learn the breadth of these experiences. They learn, certainly learn the depth of the experiences from combat to desk work, you know, from the line cook to the line officers. These are things that get shared with our public here. And this is very important too for, because our project is, uh, our project is open to veterans with a Western Pennsylvania connection. So if you lived in Western Pennsylvania, we'd love to hear your story. If you currently live in Western Pennsylvania, we'd love to hear that story, you know, that you have. So we're, we're kind of broad in that sense, but still focused on this region. So have you recorded your own stories since you mentioned you were a veteran? Oh, you know, my father and I did a StoryCorps project oh, a number of years ago uh, in conjunction with us, our, our project. And we sat down together and we had a conversation. He was on an aircraft carrier. So was I. So we had a lot of sharing there. But I've never actually sat down and got my own individual story. I'm more comfortable on the other side of this microphone. I, I, I feel like I feel like you need to do that at some point. I guess so. I, I mean, so. I mean, that's kind of you're always looking for veterans to interview, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just get a mirror. <laughs> It'll be a solo show. Yeah, but you know that raises a good point. I mean, yeah, we often don't think, and this is this is something I like to stress to people. You know, we only get what we get, right? So if someone else out there has grandpa, grandma, you know, cousin, uncle, brother, sister who are veterans, don't let those stories go unrecorded or undocumented or don't let them slip away. We often take those stories for granted. And I always suggest to families, hey, continue to do this. Even if we get an interview down on video or audio, continue to get those stories because we are not going to capture all of them, you know. So that's what I really encourage people to do. So you're talking about these stories and... During an interview, I feel like your storytelling session, they're just kind of coming up with these things off the top of their head. Will you edit it down if there's a story they don't want to share? Because I know you mentioned that it is available to the public. That's a great question. You know, as I mentioned, you know, these are the veteran stories in their own words. And sometimes people do say things that they think about and they say, uh, I'd rather that not be in the interview. 
Can you take that out? And absolutely we will. You know, we are very above board and very ethical in that regard, and we work with people. I had a veteran who told me about a crime that happened in his family, and it was very important to the story. It was one of the reasons he came back from overseas to deal with this crime. But then he called me up afterwards, and he he said, could you take that mention out because my family doesn't know about that crime? (laughs) Yeah. So, absolutely, we will. Yeah. The other day I was recording at a Veterans Breakfast Club event, and a fellow came up afterwards, and he said, could you take me out of the photographs that you have? I said, well, yeah, it really, it really floored me, you know. So I was curious why. And he said, I did some stuff in Vietnam that uh, is uh, secret, and I'd rather not have my image here. And I said, well, okay, I'll do that. Sure, absolutely. I just need to know who you are, and, and, yeah. I, and I need a description of you, So, because I never met the person before. So I, you know, I was I was looking for a pen to make some notes, and I didn't have a pen, and I my microphones were still going. And I said, "Well, listen, just speaking in the microphone, tell me who you are, and I, and I'll you're wearing a brown shirt, you know, I'll make this note." He said, "I can't even be on a microphone." And he said, "Yeah, what I did was top secret." Okay, <laughs> so uh, what did I do with that? You know, I'm always willing to work with people, so I found a pen and I made some notes, and um, so I will do my best to take him out of those images. You know, I'm, it, we're not here to judge. Right. Why recording in a museum? What What is special about the setting of having it someplace like here at the Heritage Museum that makes it different recording experience? I know you're oftentimes you're at these places with the breakfast, you're out at random places, whether it's a social hall, country club. What makes it special about being sort of immersed in a museum when you're doing these recordings? Well, one way to answer that is uh, with that old, uh, you know, that funny line of like, hey, why do uh, people rob banks? It's because of the money. That's where the money is, right? (laughs) So we like to go out into the communities where veterans are. We don't have a studio. We are totally mobile. We've recorded in over 50 different locations throughout Western Pennsylvania over the years. So we go to where veterans are and can access, you know, our programs. So here we are at the Heritage Museum in Tarentum, wonderful local historical hub for the community. And we are big fans of local historical societies. And we think that people should come and patronize those societies. So having us here to come to the museum benefits us because we can set up a shop, if you will, with our setup here. We can be close to local veterans in this part of the lower Allegheny Valley. And we can also bring people to the museum to come while they're here. They can check out the wonderful exhibits that you have here. And uh, so it's a win-win. This is just kind of a curiosity point because I've heard other people doing local histories use us for similar reasons. Does it help sort of being in a military exhibit with sort of almost reminders or almost memory aid sort of things with the different artifacts around with the different military stuff versus being in sort of a blank space? Well, you know, the artifacts that you have here in the museum, the, the uniforms and the equipment and so forth. I mean, these, this is all, um, you know, it's, it's military stuff. And, you know, our conversations are about the military. So, yeah, that's a great backdrop. It's a great uh, memory prompt, you know, for veterans. It, it makes me think when I look at the artifacts that you have here about military service. So, yeah, it very much enriches the oral history experience to have a setting like this. So when someone comes and sits down with us, so what we do is we have the interview and we preserve that with our cameras and our audio equipment. And we take photographs, we take a portrait of the veterans who come. And then if people bring memorabilia, we take photographs of the memorabilia. We're a a totally digital archive, digital project. 
So, you know, we don't keep anything. We preserve everything through digital media. So we preserve that entire unedited version for history's sake. That gets put away. It doesn't get released publicly. That's for archivists and scholars and historians someday. But from that interview cut, then we widow it down. We make a public version. We take the ahs and the ums out. And when people sneeze, we take that stuff out too. And this is really for story continuity because our project not only captures and preserves, it also shares, right? That's the other part of our mission is to share these stories. So to make a story, to edit it down into something that is, um, you know, full length, but still, uh, you know, relatively pleasing to watch, you know, sometimes it's difficult to watch someone talking for an hour or so. So we try to make that, uh, you know, uh, pleasant with some editing and, and so forth. And our visuals are very nice. Our audio is very nice. We think we do some of the finest oral history recording work anywhere in the country. And if you look at our media, you look at our work in comparison to others around the country, I think you would say so, too. I, I can't agree more with you. Um, I've been to a lot of conferences as a museum curator. I've seen a lot of different takes on oral history. There's a reason why you're here every single month. I love the work that you do. I think it is a fantastic quality. And just the ethics, the procedure behind it is just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Thanks. So any veterans who are listening who are interested in sharing their stories or family of veterans who want to encourage someone to come forward to share their stories, they can contact me personally at the allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society to make a reservation to sit down with Kevin and Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh to share their stories. Usually we're recording on the second Saturday of the month, and we are starting to have Veterans Breakfast. I don't want to throw that out there. We're having our first Veterans Breakfast Club here at the Heritage Museum in Trenum. As always, you can visit our website and social media for more contact information. And of course, call me at 724-224-7666 or stop into the Heritage Museum at 224 East 7th Avenue, Trenum to make a reservation or to inquire about more information on the process of making a reservation or if you have any personal questions that you would like answered. And of course, you can also visit veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com for Kevin's contact information, email, that sort of thing. FAQs, I believe you also have on the site. As far as being able to come to the Heritage Museum and be one of these veterans that we're talking about today that have this opportunity to share their stories. I'm so glad that we were able to find something that works great for both groups and gives veterans this awesome chance to share their stories. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us on the Alakiski Chronicle, the podcast of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum. I'm Jamie Stoner. See you next time. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network, a nonprofit project of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative.